Welcome to the podcast of the First Baptist Church of Dumas, Texas, featuring biblical teaching and preaching from God's inspired, inerrant, and infallible word. If you live in the Panhandle area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you at First Baptist Church. We meet every Lord's Day for Sunday school at 9 a.m. and morning worship at 10.30 a.m. We also have midweek discipleship opportunities for all ages on Wednesdays. For more information, visit us at fbcdumastx.com. That's fbcdumastx.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Now open your Bible as we explore God's Word together.
Please stand for the reading of God's word. And you respond with, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me after every two verses? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All who see mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. He trusts in the Lord. Let him deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Yet you are he who, he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you was I cast from my birth, and from my mother's womb, you have been my God. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Be not far from me, for trouble is near and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me, strong bulls of Bashan surround me. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? My strength is dried up like a post herd, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death, for dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and feet. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I cannot count. I can count all my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? come now to our prayer of confession. You'll find it in either order of service. It will not be on the screen, but you can read along with me as we pray together. 
If you do not want to use this template for our prayer tonight as I pray, that's fine. You may pray in silence or go to the Lord in your own heart with your own words. That's fine. But we're going to say this prayer corporately together as we confess our sins to the Lord and seek his pardon. Let's pray. Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against you in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved you with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbors as ourselves. We are truly sorry and humbly repent. For the sake of your son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways to the glory of your name. Amen. Paul says this saying is worthy of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. We're going to turn our attention now to the reading of the passion of the Lord, the suffering of the Lord, from the Gospel of John. And all of this is found in its entirety in your order of service, so you can read along with me as I read. From John 18 and 19, we'll read about Jesus' trial and then his crucifixion. As we go through the reading, you'll see two times, I believe, three times that you will have instructions. Uh, Two of them are just invitations to silence. And we will observe those. But one at the end of that second page says to stand. So when we get to that portion, if you'll stand as we read the rest of the Passion narrative on the back. Hear the word of the Lord. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in the synagogues and in the temple where all the Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I said to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, It is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, 
my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not of this world. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king. Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, what is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him. But you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you this king of the Jews? And they cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. And they came to him saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and a purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Take him away yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law, he ought to die, because he made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me? Do you not know that I have authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, you would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given to you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, if you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at the place called the Stone Pavement and an Aramaic Gabbatha. Now it was the day of the preparation of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king. They cried out, Away with him, away with him, crucify him. Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified.
So they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him and with him two others, one on either side and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the king of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city. And it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priest of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather this man said, I am the king of the Jews. But Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven from, in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, they divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her into his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there. So they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. One of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you may also believe. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden. And in the garden, a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. 
So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Amen. You can be seated. It's evening now, and it was evening then. Sun is setting, as it was then. The Sabbath for the Jews at that time was beginning, between 6 and 7 p.m. The darkness gathers, and the Creator is quiet in a tomb. It's over. The pain and the anguish and the torture of the previous day is done. And now, peace. And perhaps an unsettling quiet. A poet put it this way. In the evening, when it was cool, Adam's fall was manifest. In the evening, the Redeemer cast him down. In the evening, a dove returned and carried an olive branch in its mouth. Oh, beautiful time. Oh, evening hour. Peace is now made with God, for Jesus has endured his cross. Peace. This evening is about peace. The Savior rests, his sacrifice is complete, the pain and the suffering are over, the birds hush their singing, the sun sets, and there is peace. God himself whispers peace. God whispers peace to his only son lying in the tomb, and he whispers peace to every sinner for whom he died. Romans chapter 5, verse 1, the apostle says, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace with God. That's what Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. And of course, we would nod our heads and say, Amen. We know that Jesus accomplished that on the cross. So then why do we tend to assume that peace with God is something that's automatic? Why do sinful human beings pretend as if peace with God is something that's default with God? And the reasoning goes like this. God is love. Yes, I mess up. But he's okay with that and he understands If God is okay with our sin, and God understands that we're just going to mess up, and he simply winks at it and lets us go, then we have a question here tonight, don't we? Why do we need the cross? The Bible is very clear that no, it is not automatic. And that this peace with God is not ours by nature. In fact, the opposite is true. Apart from Christ, we are rebels enemies of God. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 2 that we're dead in our sins and trespasses and we follow the course of this world, the devil himself. In Romans chapter 3, Paul pulls out this indictment against humanity. None is good, none is righteous, none follows God, none seeks for God. No, this peace is not automatic. And we know this because this has not been a peaceful day for Jesus. We have peace with God, but number one tonight, this peace didn't come without a war. In the upper room just the night before, there was warm, 
quiet, tender moments, serenity with the Savior in the upper room. Much like what we experienced last night in our Maundy Thursday service as we fellowshiped around a good meal together and then heard the scriptures and sang songs and prayed with each other and celebrated the Lord's Supper. But the rest of that night for Jesus and the morning that unfolded the next day was anything but warm and serene and peaceful. And Jesus knew this was coming. In the upper room in John 12, 31, he says about the coming events, now is the judgment of this world. And just as they're about to leave to go to Gethsemane, in John 16, 33, Jesus says, I have overcome the world. Language of a fight, language of battle, language of war. But this isn't a war of swords and spears and shields and chariots and horses. This is a war fought with whips and thorns and nails and a cross. This is a cosmic war in the heavenly places as Satan is struck a fatal blow. Because even as that war rages, And evil seems to triumph as Jesus dies. He is only bitten on his heel. And the conqueror's foot comes down on the serpent's head. In that moment, Jesus bears all the pain that was promised to Eve. And he's pierced by the very thorns that God promised to Adam. And this tree of death becomes a tree of life in God's new garden. And Jesus says, it is done. This peace comes with a war. Number two, this peace didn't come without a cost. What cost? The very life of the Son of God. The sinless, spotless, pure, holy one of Israel. And we see that as Jesus sheds his blood for us, we see the cost of our sin. Not our worthiness, but the cost of our sin. Jesus did not die because you were worthy. Jesus died in order to make you worthy. And that peace that he brings you comes with a cost. Because in those few short hours, just six hours hanging on that cross, Jesus was crushed by God. Yes, he had been beaten and whipped and humiliated and stripped and impaled by nails and hung on a cross. But nothing compared to the unleashing of God's holy wrath on this one who, Paul says, became sin for us. I do not know the complex theological maze that unfolds before us when Jesus says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I can't tell you the layers that that are behind that statement. In the mystery of the Godhead, that's something we dare not try to peer into, I think, and try to explain too much why Jesus would cry out to his Father, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I don't know, and you don't know, but Jesus knew. 
And he cried out in anguish, quoting from Psalm 22, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Interesting to note that we don't have a note anywhere else in John's gospel or any other gospel of Jesus crying or groaning or screaming or agonizing, although he most certainly did because he was a real man with real pain. But we do have that note, that he cried out in anguish, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So tonight, we rejoice. We say it's Good Friday. There's victory here. And of course, we know the rest of the story. But I think we would always do well to stop and to pause and to remember how this victory came to us and what it cost our Lord. Another poet wrote, O man, bewail your great sin. For this, Christ from the Father's bosom went forth and came to earth of a virgin pure and gentle. He was born here for our sake. He was willing to mediate. To the dead he gave life and conquered all sickness until the time came that he should be sacrificed for us to carry the heavy burden of our sins upon the cross itself. This peace didn't come without a war. This peace didn't come without a cost. Lastly, this peace tonight is offered to you. No, peace with God and forgiveness from your sins is not automatic. It is not the default. There was a war to be won. There was a cost to be paid. And on an otherwise ordinary Friday 2,000 years ago, Jesus did it. He won the war. He paid the cost. And while it's not automatic, it is freely offered to all who will come and receive it in faith. Of all the shocking things that unfolded on this day, there's none more shocking than that Jesus turns to the very ones who perpetrated this act, which includes you and me, and says, come. God looks at you today, rebellious sinner, unbeliever, skeptic, and he says, come. God looks at you today, backslidden believer, far from God, fallen into sin and temptation, distracted by the world, and he says, come. You cannot win this war. You cannot pay this cost. And you can't earn this peace. But here is your offer. Here is his offer. Come and receive it by faith. Because it's yours in Christ. Him says, Jesus hath his hand outstretched to grasp us. Come, 
Where to? In Jesus' arms, seek redemption. Take his mercy. Seek it. Where? In Jesus' arms, living, dying, rest. Rest ye here. Where? In Jesus' arms. The battle is over. The war is won. The cost has been paid. Now Jesus rests in peace in the bosom of his Father, waiting for Sunday morning. We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The words of the old gospel hymn say, Oh, the mighty gulf that God did span at Calvary. Amen.
Please stand and receive your benediction. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. You are dismissed. Thanks for listening. For more information about what it means to follow Jesus as Lord, you can email us at fbcdumas at hotmail.com. It's fbcdumas at hotmail.com. You can also reach us by phone at 806-935-5604. We'll see you next time.